Hello and welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today will be part two of our interview with Worshipful Brother Troy Sprue of the Grand Lodge of British Columbia in Yukon. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Today on the Working Tools Podcast, we'll be talking with Worshipful Brother Troy Sprue, who's the current sitting master of the Duke of Connaught Lodge number 64 up in the Grand Lodge of British Columbia in Yukon, as well as the guy behind the Esotericism and Masonry Conference here in the in the Northwest U.S. and the um, Grand Masonic Day uh, that is held by the Grand Lodge of British Columbia and Yukon every year. Um, so I'm Very Worship Brother Matthew Apple, along with Very Worship Brother David Colbeth. We are Masons here in the state of Washington, along, and we have with us our other two usual hosts, Worshipful Brother Stephen Chung and Right Worshipful Brother Trevor McCune, who are up in the Grand Lodge of British Columbia and the Yukon. So, um, Troy, uh, thank you for, for agreeing to do another segment with us. As, as I said at the end of the last one, I felt like we both talked about a whole lot of stuff and barely scratched any surface of anything. So it was a, it was a, a, a good, good conversation to have a part two of. And um, I guess I kind of want to, in this part, ask a, a sort of a chicken and egg question in my head. Did the, oh, Steve, did you have a question? I'm sorry. Yeah, I wanted to, um, you know, get his point of view about esotericism and uh, how it's linked or, or, or uh, connected to our everyday Masonic experience in our lodges. Well, sure. Um, for most Masons, uh, they would take our, um, our symbolism and our teachings uh, to be allegorical, not strictly literal. Um, and that, that in itself, taking those allegories and applying them and extrapolating them into other areas of your life is, I mean, that's the, the, the core of what we imply in, in the craft. Um, there's been, I often talk a lot about uh, how the number three is used over and over and over again and how important that is from a philosophical standpoint. Um, you've got... Um, a universe that implies a heavy duality, but it's important for a, um, a philosophical being to realize that there's not only um, uh, a black and white, but there's a combination of the two. There's not only left and right, but there's the center. There's, there's not only male and female, but there's the child. And, and this three is implied in, in masonry quite heavily. And so it, it, it helps the candidate uh, and the aspirant to the work realize uh that that this existence is not simply about an exercise in dualities but of a union of opposites and making sure that one can uh, continue to grow and change uh by uniting the opposites in oneself did that help brother chung um you sit in lodge you can see um you can see all the threes that are expressed you know the candidate coming through the pillars the the three tri three times around the lodge the th the three uh, principal officers 
um, the, the three uh, lesser lights, the three greater lights, you know, uh, there's the three is used a lot. I, I can see the uh, connection between the three um, and, you know, the several things in love, like you mentioned. Um, I think uh, it might have been more leaning towards what David was saying about the meaning behind the words uh, that we use in Lodge, maybe. Well, sure. And I, I, I think it's important um, also to, to remember that we, we expect our candidates not only to hear the material, but to learn the material and then deliver the material as well. So um, there's, as I said before, there's no casual word or gesture in Freemasonry. I'm always careful to remember that when we're at practice. And there are certain certain words and aspects of our of our practice that I don't allow to be used during a practice. They're only to be used during a live ritual. Well, why is that? Well, because they have a sacredness to them that should only be used during live ritual, and they should only be used at at those times. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm one of those masons that thinks doing our business in the tiled sanctity of a lodge is a bit vulgar. Although at one time, just the act of casting a vote in a group and having a say uh, would have been a revolutionary act. So now we're living in a more open and pluralistic society. Should, should uh, a, a lodge be tiled to discuss our janitorial bills? I don't think so. I think doing business no. in the tiled sanctuary of a lodge is not the right place. I think a board of general purposes is a better idea for that. Right. right. That's what that's for. Um, and committees, committee work can be done. And then, and then it's, uh, the the lodge the tiled lodge becomes more about uh, the the casting of ballots to choose candidates and to choose officers and to install officers and the making of new masons the the initiation passing and raising of masons when you're when you're uh, opening the lodge and you drop the gavel and you the gavel's echoed in the multiple corners of the of the lodge. Uh, this is, uh, to me, it's like Bereshith at the beginning of the Bible. It's, it's let there be light. It's creating a sacred space. You're creating an universe for the sacred work to take place. Okay? So there's how an esoteric mason might view the opening, simple opening of a lodge, you mm. drop the gavel. It's that, that uh, let there be light. It's that creative moment, that big bang. Okay, now you've created the lodge. Now, in the Canadian work, we have a part of the lecture where it talks about the limits of the lodge. I don't know where it is in Webb in the ancient work, but it sounds something like this. And I can quote our work. Um, uh, the uh, form of the lodge is a parallelopipedon in, in length from east to west, in breadth from north to south, in depth from the surface of the earth to its center, and even as high as the heavens. What it's implying is this idea of a cube of space. So you've created this space, okay, the sacred space that's apart from the vulgar world. You've created your own universe, the sacred space. There's so much going on um, from sort of a sacred geometry or Kabbalistic perspective in the cube of space that implies all these different numbers. But even just thinking about the way three exists, you've got the knock in the east and then the knock in the west and the knock in the south. You've got the initial knock, the first dimension, and the second knock echoing it, you've got a line. And the third knock echoing it, now you have a plane. And from that plane, a cube is formed. 
right? So this is one way to think about the lodge space as a sacred space that you can own, that you should only do certain things in. And none of those things should be vulgar things. You should leave those all in the outside world. You shouldn't carry any hate or animosity into that sacred space. We talk about that in our ritual. You don't want to have any, uh, any ill will with a brother that's in that sacred space. Why? Because that's, it's a sacred space. If you bring that hate and anger in there, it's going to fester. If you leave it outside, it, 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 uh, it will disappear with the outside world. You create that universe to make masons or uh, install brethren. Um, in, that, uh, in that space, you have the three principal officers, which represent that triptych again. You have the three lesser lights. You have the three greater lights, as we've discussed. Our symbols, the, the square encompasses, are an exercise of three on three. Um, and, and this is implying further sacredness with this, this triptych idea. Um, and, and, and I could go on and on, but I'm starting to get a glazed look from the rest of the host, so I should let you guys ask. In essence, I agree with you about we're creating a sacred space. A counter argument, though, to you saying that we shouldn't be conducting profane business in that space, a possible counter argument would be one of the goals of, of the lodge is to create harmony. Indeed. Doing the ritual of the lodge, raising candidates and what have you, doesn't involve any potential really for, for conflict and discord and disharmony, whereas the business does. So by bringing the business in, that's giving us our rough Ashler to work on. Mm -hmm. A possible counter-argument. Then, that then that's a good counter-argument, but then it's like any representative democracy. You're, you're appointing officers to take care of those things for you. Let them take care of them. On a practical level, I entirely agree with you. And I think we're reaching a point where we have to understand that the educational and uh, contemplational aspects of the craft are what, what the young men are coming to us for. Um, now, you can only instruct people so far in this sort of esoteric leaning, but left on their own with anything with very little than a notebook and just our workbook, there is so much material in there for, for a Mason to contemplate on. Uh, that guys will often come up with this stuff on their own. Um, one of my favorite ways of expressing uh, this idea and the idea of three is, you know, our initiations are done in three. And I know a, a, an initiation passing and raising, and I know initially it was just an initiation and a passing and that the master Mason was hung on to the degree system a little later, but I believe that was archetypal and it creates a, a complete system. And I'll explain to you why. Um, when you're brought into the lodge, you're initiated and you're treated as an entered apprentice. The act of initiation or conferring a degree is similar to the entered apprentice. Your next um, uh, advance to the fellow craft degree. So when you're in lodge, you will sit on the side of the lodge and you will watch the other masons confer a degree. So it's a second type of degree. You're, you're, you're not just having received it. Now you're seeing it. And that's very much like getting your second degree. And then when you graduate to the point where you're actually conferring the degree work, it is again an, an expression of this triptych. You're, um, you're now no longer somebody being uh, uh, conferred the degree or seeing the degree. Now you're actually memorizing all of the words and, and, exp and, and having 
uh, being the method of conferral of the degree and there and thereby becoming part of the transmission of this gnosis of Freemasonry to another generation. So that that threefold aspect is another thing that I spend a lot of time in Lodge contemplating. When I'm in the master in the East, there again, when you're a Lodge officer, a junior officer, it's like you're being initiated, you're, you're being an EA again. But then you get into a senior officer's position, it's like being a fellow craft. But once you're mastered, there again, you're a, you're a master Mason. You're sitting in the East and conducting the work. And while you're conducting the, the degree, uh, you have things to say, but it's the rest of the brethren that are participating in the making of that Mason. But really, it could be the kind of thing like in the Canadian workbook that we work from, um, it'll say every lecture other than the specific points assigned to the officers is, is conferred by the worshipful master. Uh, it's been a, a goal of mine to learn all of the master mason degree in the particular work that I work so that I could actually do that as a worshipful master, come down and perform every role in the degree and take the candidate all the way through. I've yet to see that in any lodge. I'd like to do that. But this is part of the way I contemplate this mystery of that we practice is that it's, it's so layered and nuanced. There's so much to contemplate. And it's that contemplation that I believe is me working on my ashlar. You can, you can polish the ashlar forever. I believe you can achieve perfection here in the flesh. Many uh, other faiths would declare that's not the case. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying to polish it. And it's this contemplation that I find so uh, inspiring, so exciting about the work of Freemasonry. Never mind all the other stuff that I study. It's it, to me, it always comes back to how can I hang this on my lodge experience, and how can I hang my lodge experience on other things. So, I, I, you touched on something there that I'm, I always, when I think about the ritual, I, I always sort of wonder about. People talk about there's um you know, that there are these relationships between our ritual and the, the Eleusinian uh, mysteries, mystery schools or the Kabbalah or this or that, or, you know, Gnostic Christianity or whatever. And I always wonder to myself was, is it the fact that there is this archetype out there the in not out there, but in, in there perhaps <laughs> that, that we have that makes all of these groups have a, have this similar, these similar aspects, or is it that we have taken from these other groups the these aspects and include incorporated them into masonry? Is it is it a you know did did we come up with this ourselves because everyone else came up with the same thing because it's it's the capital T truth, or did we say hey that, that looks good and grab one of those and and one of those and put them into masonry? Yes. Excellent. I'm going to be oh, the worst. That's yes. I'm going to be the worst guest ever. <laughs> yep. Next. Uh, no. It's 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 worse than that, uh, Matthew. It it it's something like that. I, I believe that um, uh, being a spiritual being, having a human experience, that all of these archetypes are useful in the contemplation of our own existence, and um, seeing another brother as a brother of the dust seeing another human being as just another spiritual being going through a human experience. And perhaps some compassion is called for, um, especially when they struggle because so many of us do so well, you know, that those who struggle really kind of deserve our attention and assistance. Um, now that being said, 
uh, how can you help another brother in the lodge realize this? It, it there's there's a lot of argument, right? Uh, say, uh, in uh, in in magical circles, you know, it, you, you summon the spirit, or you're talking to an angel, or you're talking to a, a deity, whatever it is you're doing. Is this part of your psychology? Is this just like is it all in your head? Or is, does that being have an object of reality outside of you, right? Is masonry itself uh, a school unto itself and a complete system of teaching unto itself and exists outside of the archetype of the rest of the world? Yes, we've kind of broken it away from the rest because we contemplate it on its own, but it's still part of a greater whole. Um, and, and with that, that's, spiritual question from before the the answer and it's one of my good friends Lon Duquette who I've brought here many times to to talk to people about this very subject his his answer is that yeah it's yes it's both you you have no it's all in your head you just have no idea how big your head really is 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 the quote that Dumbledore tells Harry that sort of sums this up there's no way to know the, the problem with philosophy is that there is no way to separate um, this objective reality we tend to agree on and the completely subjective experience of each individual of that objective reality. And so science helps in we, we agree on the facts and we write things down and we study them. But from at the esoteric standpoint, science and intelligence is only a sword it can only create division it it divides up the universe into smaller and smaller pieces so we can measure it and if you look at what science is obsessed with how big is the universe and how how many little pieces can we break it into it's obsessed with that but that doesn't give you any meaning at all all of that is completely subjective which is why it's frustrating to me to see people argue about religion or philosophy even Express your idea, but you're not going to get me. I'm not going to tell you um, that black isn't white and that I won't get run over at the next zebra crossing. There's, there's, there's no, you know, there's certain objective things we can agree on, but once it comes beyond what's easily measurable and provable, everything's completely subjective. And so the experience a brother has of the craft and how he interprets that experience and how he expresses that experience in his writing or in his words to other people, it's always like, well, yeah, you know, how can you tell a guy his experience is wrong? And, you know, unless they, they drop him when they're marching him around the lodge or something. I mean, that's not good. <laughs> Maybe hit his head or something. But in all seriousness, you know, so much of what I'm interested in is completely subjective, non-provable, um, and, and frankly, I don't care if people think I'm just full of hogwash or not. It's all for my own contemplation anyway. And as far as I can tell, you're all figments of my imagination in any event. <laughs> Same to you. I, I just was, I, I say read, but I was just listening to a book by Jill Bolte Taylor. I don't know if you know Jill Bolte. She's a, a brain scientist and she had a stroke and she, as, as a brain scientist, she was able to go through that whole process of see, seeing what's happening or feeling what's happening. And she, she realized that her, she, she, because the side of her brain was not functioning, she was no longer linear. Things weren't, didn't have shape and they, they were, it was 
energy, all a ball of energy. So if, you, if it was a really fascinating study, she has a, has a great uh, TED talk she did, Jewel, Jill Bolte-Taylor, but the book is fascinating too. It just goes on and on about her experience. And it really brought, I, mean, I, I believe, yes, there's, is there some higher power? Is there some, but we're all at the base, we're all atoms, although there may be a fifth element. I just found out we just, there's discovery of a fifth element, but, uh, <laughs> but we're all, ele- weren't they talking about break? And muons apart and all this other stuff coming exactly out. yeah i just like, read about that crazy right. <laughs> but, but at the, at the core yeah. we're all atoms we're all energy in, in some fashion yeah and and uh this the, the movie contact really goes into this idea of thinking about thinking and and you know science is a great end in itself and you know the masonry is a spiritual science i would consider it a spiritual science um in that the benefits can be proven and the measuring tools can be transmitted to the next generation, but one still has to work at it to get any kind of value out of it. And you only get out of it what you put into it. Um, contemplative masonry is, is it's a beautiful uh, system. And, it, you know, I wasn't expecting to love it. Uh, I was already heavily involved in esotericism and philosophical thought long before I became a Freemason. Uh, and in some ways I was just degree collecting when I joined, I was like, well, we'll go see what this is about. There's been lots of it around, but I fell in love with it system. Um, because it is complete unto itself. It's so simple yet very nuanced. There's a lot going on here. Um, and I've taken, I've taken some additional degrees, but I, I don't think they are necessary. And I think as the craft right sizes here, I think we're going to see that become, uh, very, very rare, uh, the practice of that to become more like uh, college or PhD level uh, masonry than the, the workaday three degrees that I think every man really is entitled to. And in most societies, uh, they would have initiatory or coming of age rituals uh, that we don't have in the West anymore. And I think with, um, you know, work becoming less and less of an identity, and um and schooling become more and more specialized and religion taking a smaller and smaller role you know having trusting somebody else to tell you what to think uh i think this is a natural progression for people i think adopting a philosophical viewpoint through a a a structured mystery school is is probably the most efficient way to transmit this type of spontaneous self-knowledge or gnosis as i would call it I was contemplating today, thinking about this show potentially, and and also some experiences we've had in that when you talk about religion, what what we were talking about then the pre-show, whether masonry is a religion or not, and it was it was interesting to me. It popped into my head that I've had several men join Freemasonry who were not religious, who then found faith through their experience in Freemasonry and quit Freemasonry because of their belief in the faith. It was this interesting process that they went through. And I thought, well, thank God that they found Freemasonry so that they could find their faith. And so if we had to, if we were that avenue to provide that opportunity for them, then that's excellent. I think it's a great progression of man, of the person to develop that. And, but it was just a, it's an interesting process for me. I just, it just clicked in my mind. Oh, Oh my goodness. 
and people, because people say to me, well, David, is this, is Freemasonry new, your new church, your new religion, my, especially my mom. I don't, she doesn't ever listen to the show, so I'm pretty safe saying that. But, uh, and I say, well, no, it's not. You know, I, maybe I don't go to churches often. However, there's, we are absolutely faith-based. And this, that's a whole other segment. We don't have a few minutes left, but I just wanted to mention that. Uh, I think it's, I think here's the cynic in me. It's like, boy, wouldn't it be awesome to be so certain that you could now decline membership in something that was important to you and go join something else because you're so certain it's right and everybody else is wrong. But then I will just flip flop right back around and say, well, I'm so certain that Freemasonry is for like anybody. And I, I think, I think lodges for women should be organized for the record. I'm on the record for that for, for years. Uh, I just would rather not have um, a different sex pressure in the lodge I attend because I want to be open with the guys in my lodge. But I think in future, as uh, as humanity and society progresses, I think the turning our back on the old tribalism and adopting a more inclusive, um, uh, uh, a more inclusive um, secularism, that's not even pluralism, as I was saying before, I think it's important because I believe masonry at its core teaching uh, teaches us that everybody else is having the same experience. Everybody has a bad day. Everybody's going to be born. Everybody's going to experience adulthood and everything that that brings. And everybody's going to die. And we're all terrified of what's next, if anything, you know? And so uh, be careful to complete your work while it is yet day for the night comes where no man can work which is something that always gives me goose pimples and something I throw out there that makes me seem like I'm super wise when people kick the bucket. But when you think about it, that's going to be you and sooner than you hope. And, and we all need to make sure that we're doing the things that are important to us, telling those of us who are important to us that we love them, making sure that we leave a legacy that can be respected make sure that something that we leave behind is going to be worth something to the people behind us. And none of that has to do with your job. None of that has to do with, you know, uh, what you get up in the morning and do that has more to do with how you think about thinking and how you think about the arc of your life and, and where this is going. I, on that note, cannot think of a more profound statement that has ever been uttered on this podcast. Um, I, 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 and I think we're going to close it off with that. <laughs> so on behalf of uh, David and Stephen and, and Trevor and myself, uh, Troy, thank you again for, for coming out to our, our humble podcast. It's yeah, I, I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> so thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me guys. This was really great. I'd love to come back. And yes, we will, we will definitely have to do that for sure. Uh, well, Heck, I may have to just call you up and talk to you for a while. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much. And thank you for listening to the Working Tools Masonic Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.